Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, May 8th, 2022, from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. We are going to be in the book of 2 Peter in chapter 1. This morning, Terry already did a beautiful job reading reading that for us this morning. I'm going to read it again in just a few minutes so that we are all on the same page. But the reason I wanted to look at the book of 2 Peter is about a month or so ago, I, I was reading this book a few times and I realized that most of the time, in my experience, that we talk about the Apostle Peter in church, we're talking about this dude's worst moments. And to be fair, he had plenty of them. Like he was impulsive, he was intense, he stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. You know, this was, he was always kind of wrong-footed. And, but we always talk about these, these moments where he is kind of seen in a bad light. And all of those moments took place within about the two and a half or so years that Peter was, you know, in the 12 disciples walking around with Jesus during his ministry. Well, that guy, after Jesus died for us and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, that guy changed and grew and then lived a long life of walking with people in community and walking with, walking with Jesus and just became this amazing person. And then at the very end of his life, he wrote a couple of letters to some people who believed in Jesus. And I thought, man, we always talk about Peter and his young, hot-headed, worst moment days. And let's look at the things that he said right before he checked out. Second Peter is his farewell address. It's the speech he gives at his retirement party. It's his swan song. So this is the end of chapter 1 in 2 Peter. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will, be, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when, a vo- when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well, by the way, I'm going to pause right here. This is one of the most beautiful poetic things in the whole New Testament. So don't miss it, okay? We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. What did I tell you? It was good. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these words. These rich words. Help me to keep this simple and clear And I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself during this time that you would just encourage us to not be resistant to what you have for us, but to receive your word. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Like I said, Peter, he grew and he changed and he became this completely amazing person. But what I love about Peter is he's still Peter. 
Like he's still really intense, still really extra. I mean, in these verses that we read, right off the bat, he hammers one thing down three times. He says, I will always remind you of these things. And then he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory. And then he says, and after I go, which I'm going soon, Jesus has made this clear to me, I will make sure that after I'm gone, you will remember these things. He's like, remember, remember, remember. And you're like, remember what things? What is it? Okay, so for, for anybody that, you know, that maybe hasn't been with us yet, I'm going to go back and we're going to talk about this whole first chapter, this whole speech and how far we've gotten so far. All right. When Peter starts this speech, what he says is, you know, it's like it's, you're in a crowded room. It's the retirement party. They clink their glasses. All the, all the hubbub, like, you know, gets quiet. The room is, everybody's attention is on Peter. And he says, guys, you have been given something precious by Jesus, a faith. You have been given a precious faith. In other words, something amazing happened in the past for you. Jesus has forgiven all your sins. Amazing. Like, amen? This is an amazing thing. He said, you didn't do anything to earn this. You didn't pay for it. You didn't level up to get it, anything. He just gave it to you through his righteousness. You've been given this, and it's precious. Something amazing happened for you. He said, but that's not all. You've been given another gift. Something amazing happens with you right now because his divine power, he said, has given you everything you need for a godly life. You have divine help. That's another place where an amen belongs. I have help to help me make it through my life. He says, but that's not all. You have another gift you've been given. You didn't do anything for it. You just got it as a gift. And that is his very great and precious promises. Something amazing happened for you. Something amazing right now happens with you. And something amazing is going to happen to you. Jesus himself is going to come get you from this old busted place and take you to paradise forever. Amen? This is great news. And he said, it's precious. And then he moves on from precious to talk about how there's something very urgent. He said, make every effort to. And that phrase, we talked about this last week. That phrase means hurry up. It, there's an urgency to Peter right now. He says, make every effort to add some stuff to your faith. This is the pack list. You're going home to heaven, so pack up these things because you're going to need them there. Because the only thing you're going to take with you from this busted place to paradise is relationships. So he says, so add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness and mutual affection and love. Those are the things you're going to need for the only thing you're taking with you, which is relationships. Hurry up and get and grow in that stuff. You've been given something precious. So hurry up, urgently care for it, cultivate it, add to it, build into it. And, he, and then he gets to our verses today. I always will remind you of this. And then he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory. I have to tell you, that's a really, really lame translation of what Peter's actually saying here. I was looking up all these words, and I feel like, I think it's right to refresh your memory. That is not what Peter's saying. It is every bit as extra as Peter always is. What he's actually saying is, he's like, I am calling the shots, and I am going to wake you up and shake you up so that you will remember. Like the word, the word we've translated refresh is a word that means to shake up, wake up. It's like when you're in middle school and you're in seventh grade and your mom wakes you up for school, not by like tapping your shoulder and saying, honey, it's time to wake up. It's time to go to school. It's not like that. It's like when she, like she slams open the door, throws the lights on, grabs the covers and says, get up, let's go. 
It's that. He's like, I'm going to get you up and shake you up so that you will remember. Like if I was going to boil this whole speech down, like everybody clinks their glasses, it gets real quiet. And Peter says, it's precious. It's urgent. Remember, don't forget whatever you do. Don't forget. And you're like, yeah, still Peter. I mean, dude's old. He's about to die, but he's still him. He's still super extra. And you're like, remember, it's urgent, it's precious, remember it. Why? And he says, I'll tell you why. Because we did not make this up. This is true. This is real. And this is so much more. It's so much more than you can possibly imagine. He said, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. When we told you about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back in power, he said, no, no. We were eyewitnesses. I saw his majesty. I'll never forget it. We were with him on the sacred mountain. I heard the voice of God. He said, by the way, when the prophets spoke to you in the Old Testament scriptures, when we write scriptures to you and the prophets wrote them, they're not saying their own stuff. The Holy Spirit of God is prompting them, dragging them along to say what we're saying to you. This is all real. It's true. It's precious. It's urgent. Remember it because we did not make this up. It's real and it's way more than you can possibly imagine. When Peter talks about being an eyewitness, I was thinking about this this week and I realized that if I was, if I were Peter and I was going to talk about being an eyewitness of Jesus's power, I would probably talk to you about when I saw him risen from the dead. I mean, Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter hung out with him and like he saw him ascend into heaven. That's the thing that I would talk about. But that's not the night that Peter mentions. He mentions a totally different thing. He says, I was an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus. And I'm not going to talk to you about when he was risen from the dead. I'm talking about a different night. It was a night that was about six months before Jesus rose from the dead. It was probably in like mid-October. Um, the summer had gone away. We've, been, we've already had fall. The days are getting shorter. It's starting to get cooler. And Jesus took the guys, the 12 disciples, up north into kind of what's present-day Lebanon for like a, a retreat, like a little getaway. Because he had some news for them. He told them for the first time since they had been friends, the first time he told anybody, he said, we are going to go in a few months to Jerusalem. And when we go, I am going to be betrayed. And then I'm going to be arrested. And then I'm going to be accused. And then I'm going to be mistreated. And then I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I will be risen from the dead. And I'm telling you, they were so upset by all the first stuff that they, I guarantee you, they didn't even hear Jesus say that he was going to be risen from the dead. He's like, we're going to Jerusalem and I will be betrayed. And they're going, by who? And he's like, and I will be arrested. What? How? You've never done anything wrong. And I will be accused. Of what? I mean, they're thinking these, and I will be mistreated. And, they're, and you know, Peter's thinking, not on my watch. I got a sword right here. I don't know what to do with it, but I got one. And then he's like, and I'm going to be killed. And Peter literally said, no, that's never going to happen to you. To which Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Which is like the most awkward moment in the whole Bible. <laughs> when Jesus calls you Satan on your retreat with Jesus. Like, honey, where are you going? Me and Jesus are going on a retreat. Cool. How was the retreat? He called me Satan. So... <laughs> 
And it was awkward for all we know for like the next six or seven days. They were sad. The days are getting shorter. The weather's getting cooler. It's getting darker faster. They're sad for days. Finally, after a week, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, okay, you three with the long faces, come with me. And they went on a day hike in Lebanon to the top of Mount Hermon. It's a 9,332-foot summit. It's pretty much got snow on it most of the year, but you know in October it does. The days are getting shorter. It's getting darker faster. It's cooler. It's a long day hike to get up to the summit. They're sad. They're tired. The sun's gone down. There's snow on the ground. Somebody lights a fire, but you know they're getting sleepy, just sleepy with grief, sleepy with tiredness. And so they start to fall asleep when all of a sudden something happened that was unbelievable. Somehow they woke up, and I'm guessing it's that same kind of thing where your mom flips on the light switch when you're trying to wake up for school because Jesus flipped on a light switch, but not like in the room, like within him. Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 17, Luke chapter 9 all tell this story. They say that all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, on the top of Mount Hermon, Jesus changed. We call it the transfiguration. In the Greek language, it's the word metamorphosed. He changed form. Matthew says his face changed, like the appearance of his face changed. Mark says his clothes were so bright, they were like whiter than any launderer could bleach them, which I think is just such an interesting description. Luke says that he looked like lightning standing still. So imagine that. You're sad. You've been sad for a week. You don't know what you're going to do. Jesus takes you on the day hike. You're tired. You've fallen asleep. You found a little place and you've dusted off the snow. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is lightning standing still. Right there in the middle of the night. And Peter realized, I knew you were different. Like, I knew you were more, Jesus. Like, when you would teach, I would think, this is more than anything I've ever heard. And I knew you could do more than anybody else could do. He could heal and, and tell weather what to do. I knew that he could understand more than anybody else could understand, but right now I'm realizing that it's not just that you're more, you're God, like in ways I've never understood before this moment. It's not like Jesus was lit up like the moon is bright on a full moon, like the moon is just reflecting the light of the sun. It's not that God the Father was was shining light on Jesus and Jesus was reflecting it. No, Jesus is God, almighty God. And when he came to live with us and walk around on the earth, he somehow emptied himself of that glory in ways that we can't understand. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, six months before the cross, he just lit it up. And all that glory, all of that almighty eternal power is just exploding and pouring over the rim of the cup. And Peter's like, you are more in ways I did not know. And then it got cooler. If it could get cooler, it got cooler. All three of the gospel writers that talk about this told us that Moses and Elijah showed up. Now, what's interesting to me is 
They don't tell us how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Like they didn't have, you know, like Facebook or anything. They didn't have photographs. They didn't, I don't know. I, I've always, when I was a little kid, I wondered like, did they have name tags on? Like, hello, my name is Moses. Like, I don't know how this is. Now, what I'm about to say to you, I just want to say, this is not a, a, a sure theological position. So um, I hope I don't get in trouble by this. This is a speculation, okay? So uh, give me a couple seconds. But I've been thinking about this this week, and I know this part is true. Every single person who was ever made was made by God to be a unique expression of his creative genius, a unique expression of his beautiful, infinite heart. Like when Jesus, when the Lord made you, he made you to say something about him that no one else could ever say. And of course, we live in a broken world and we've got all kinds of sins and fallenness and jealousies and pettiness and all kinds of stuff that cover all of that up. And so our identity is confused and weird our whole lives. But we're going to a place where all of that is going to get taken away. And I think every single person is going to, in, in eternity, shine forth in the unique beauty of them of you. Like when you're done with sin and you're home forever, I think everybody that meets you won't even have to be introduced to you. Oh, that's you. Of course that's you. You were always made to be this person. I don't have to ask if that's Moses. Of course that's Moses. Who else could it be? In a way that's just axiomatically evident. It's just that's Elijah. He was always made to say that thing about the creative genius of heart of God, about the beauty of God's infinite heart. I don't know if that's true. That's speculation, but that's my little thing. But anyway, whatever happened, they knew it was Moses and Elijah, and all of a sudden Peter knew, not only is Jesus so much more than I thought, but heaven is real, and it's more. I mean, those two guys are there on credit, so they really need Jesus to go through with this whole Jerusalem thing, so they get to stay there, you know? And actually, that's what they were talking about. They were talking about his exodus, his departure. You know, his disciples had, had discouraged him from going to Jerusalem. And so Jesus maybe just needed somebody that was like, hey, we'll, look, we'll stack hands with you. We really need you to go do that thing, Jesus. Like, and so he needed some encouragement, maybe. So, so Jesus is more. Heaven is real. It's more. It's all true. And then Peter, of course, being Peter, opens his mouth. And the other guy's like, shh, no, don't go in there. And he's like, Jesus, I have an idea. I will put up three structures. We do not need to go to Jerusalem. We need to stay here. Look at your power. Look at your amazingness. Look how we have the high ground. Like, we don't need to go do the Jerusalem thing. Let's just stay here. Look at you. Who could take this mountain from us? I'm going to put up three structures. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I'm guessing Moses had like the biggest eye roll in the history of the Bible and Elijah face palms like so deep, like, oh. And all of a sudden, out of that moment, the voice of God the Father spoke. Hey, buddy. You know that conversation they're having about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and die? That's my boy. I love him. I love that he's going to go do it. We've always planned it. He's going to do it. I love him for this hey, would you please listen? <laughs> and Peter's thinking, Jesus is more than I ever thought. And heaven is real. It's more than I ever thought. And God the Father, he's real. And that voice, 
Like, I somehow just got rebuked, and I don't feel like I'm in trouble. Like, it's just more tender and sweet than I ever thought. All this is true, and it's more, and it's real. And I think about Peter at his retirement party. They clink the glasses. Everybody gets quiet, and he's like, hey, everybody, what you have in Jesus is precious. What you have in Jesus, it is so good and so huge and so precious. Like, Hurry up and cultivate it and nourish it and just keep making it bigger and bigger in your life. And don't forget it, whatever you do, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's all true, guys. It's all real. And it's all so much more than you can possibly imagine. And I think it blew up in the total kind of just the totality of his perspective on everything. And here's my question for us. What if it permeated our perspective on everything? That idea. What we have in Jesus is precious. We need to urgently, urgently nourish it and keep growing it and remember it because it's all real and it's all true and it's all so much more than we thought. Like what if that colored your perspective Completely on suffering. Is suffering not suffering? No, it's suffering. It sucks. It hurts. I don't want it. Neither do you. We don't know that much about it. We don't know when it's going to end, why it's happening. But what if permeating my thought and my perspective on suffering was this? And yet I have been saved. And Jesus is coming back. And it's all true. And it's all real. What if this permeated your perspective on, I don't know, your stuff? Like, my stuff, it doesn't matter. I'm not taking any of it home with me. I'm just going to leave it here. I'm just going to leave all of it here. So why don't, like for the rest of my life, use as much of it as possible to get as many people to come with me home as I can? Wouldn't that be awesome? What if it permeated my perspective on my society? That this is not my home. I'm not going to fight anybody about this place. I'm not going to fight anybody about our culture, our values, our country, any, any of it. I'm not going to fight anybody. I'm going to love everybody. And you know who I'm especially going to love? I'm especially going to love people who are down and out, who feel completely and totally unseen, who may be stuck, who may have found themselves in a situation they don't know. They didn't want it to happen. They didn't want to end up here, and they don't know what they're going to do, and they don't know where they can go, and they don't know who would love them or accept them. And my heart is, I hope this attitude permeates the hearts and minds of folks in Christ's community so that we get so famous in this town for being the place that a stuck young woman could come to because she's going to find people who won't judge her but who would love her and take care of her no matter what happens. What if it permeated our perspective on suffering, on our stuff, on our society, that we've been given a precious gift. We didn't do anything for it. It's completely, completely true. And Jesus is coming back for us. That would be so cool. It's so interesting because Peter says, y'all, Jesus has made this clear to me, but I'm about to leave. And the way he says that he's about to leave and he's about to die is he says, I'm about to uh, lay down the tent of this body. Such a cool phrase. 
You know that night that he tells us about when he was an eyewitness of Jesus's glory? That night on the top of Mount Hermon when he told Jesus, Jesus, we do not need to go into Jerusalem. We can just stay here and I will build three structures. What he actually said is, I'll put up three tents. It's the same word, the exact same word. I'll put up three tents, Jesus, and we never have to, we never have to face that suffering you're going to face. We never have to face the idea of death or any of that. And here at the end of his life, he says, we're not putting up tents. We're taking them down. This is a camping trip, y'all, and we're going home soon. This is the perspective. Now, I know some of y'all, if I was to ask the question, how many of y'all in here love camping? Everybody would be like, I love camping. Camping is so great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you do, sort of. You sort of love it. I want you to be a little more honest about it. I have this bad reputation for hating camping. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I actually don't hate camping. I really love it, especially if Joe is running the trip. But like my thing with camping is I think camping is so fun. It's so sweet. There's so many great memories. Here's what I hate. Sleeping during camping. Y'all don't like that. Y'all that love camping, don't tell me you love that. You don't sleep like that at home. You don't sleep outside in a bag at your house. But come on now. I've had some great memories while, while camping, and that's what camping is for. It's not for comfort. It's not for safety. It's not for any of that stuff. It's for memories. I have this memory out that I will cherish for the rest of my life where we went camping with the Michelers. I think it was at Pickett, and um, of course it rained the whole time. I don't know why y'all love camping so much, but like, it rained the whole time, and we had this, uh, at one point Nino and I were trying to make lunch. We were trying to cook hot dogs over this charcoal fire in the middle of the pouring rain and the rain was fighting the charcoal and the hot dogs were lukewarm and we had camp chairs over our heads like, like uh, umbrellas and we were just looking at each other like, we'll never forget this moment, will we? No, but I'll tell you what, when it rains, I don't go find Nino, I'm like, let's cook some dogs. <laughs> like, camping's for memories and then you go home where you have a thing on the wall where you get to set the climate and where you can take your shoes off and your feet don't get dirty and you get in the covers and it's so comfy and nice. Y'all don't want to live at the camping trip. You want to go home after the camping trip. Peter says, we're just camping, y'all. We're not putting up tents. We're taking them down. Um, we're going home soon. So let's let this, the truth and the beauty of this, what we have in Jesus, permeate all that permeate our suffering, permeate our, our stuff, permeate our society so that we can have the right perspective. Amen? Here in a second, we're going to take communion. And we invite anybody that, um, that wants to to come and take communion with us. We don't ask that you be a member of our church or anything like that. Here's the only thing that we ask, that you know that you have believed in Jesus, that you have said to Jesus, I believe that you came for me. I believe that you laid down your life for me. And I want a life with you. And if you've never done that, you could do it right now. And in the instant that you say it to him, all your sins are gone and you are part of his family forever. No one can ever take it away from you. The night that Jesus um, instituted this meal, it was his last night with his guys. He broke some bread at dinner and he said, this is my body that's given for you. He took a, a cup and he said, this cup is, is my blood of the new covenant, the new deal. The deal is I pay for everything, you pay for nothing. That's a good deal. And you're like, oh yeah, amen, that's a great deal. And he said this thing, he said, I am gonna drink this with you now and then I'm not gonna drink the fruit of the vine again until all the camping trips are over and we're all home. Every time you do this, I want you to do this for one reason. And it's the same thing Peter says in this speech, remember. 
remember this. Remember what I've done for you. And remember that you're mine. And remember that we're going home soon. We invite you to come. I'm going home. It won't be long. The Lord is coming back one day. And every tear that I cry from the troubles of this life, I know that He will wipe away. I'm going home where I belong. The Lord is coming back for me, and all my doubts will be erased when I see my Savior's face, and I will finally be free. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Rescued by the sun